The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Now more than ever, we are committed to raising up the greatest generation of disciples that this world has ever seen. Invest in the future of the faith at awana.org slash more than ever. Well, here we go. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. I'm Ross Cochran, and I'm glad you're here. November is National Adoption Awareness Month. Now, this month is personal to me. My dad's adopted, and my wife and I are foster parents. You may not know this, but foster care and National Adoption Awareness Month go hand in hand. And today, we're going to talk about foster care. I want to be really clear about my intention with this conversation. I hope you leave with a better understanding of the challenges associated with the foster care community. But more importantly, I hope you leave this conversation knowing that there is such a tremendous opportunity to serve this community and show them the hope of the gospel. I sincerely hope you get involved in whatever way makes sense for you. And if you think you want to be a foster parent, I would love to talk to you. Sincerely, email podcast at awana.org or call me at 630-289-5353. I'll connect with you and help in any way that I can. Now, I want to introduce you to Arthur C. Woods. He's a speaker, teacher, author, and orphan care advocate. And if you want to learn more about him, check out the link in the show notes. We started this conversation around the biblical mandate to care for the orphaned and vulnerable children in our communities. But we also talk about the difference between discipleship and mentorship, and how churches can be mobilized to care for communities that really need it. Now, after the commercial break, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to introduce you to Susan McConnell. Her organization, Let It Be Us, works to help recruit and equip new foster parents. So if you're listening in the Illinois area and you want to get involved, they are a terrific place to get started. Thanks for listening. Here is Arthur C. Woods on the Resilient Disciples podcast. You know, throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we are just commanded to take care of the the orphans. I mean, there's not, you can't read through the Bible and and walk away with with any, you know, anything different. We are instructed to to love and care for orphans. And I even think about the the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament. I think we we read about this in Deuteronomy where where they were legally required, the, the, the farmers were legally required to, after they had gleaned all of their their crops and their whatever it was that they they produced they weren't to go back and Mm -hmm. and get the remainder they were to leave that for the orphans and leave that for the widows and it just showed that that god was telling them as a nation of israel you are you are instructed to you're legally obligated to take care of these orphans and it just showed God's heart for the orphan then, and the un- immutable, unchanging God that we serve hasn't changed. His heart for the orphans in the book of Deuteronomy is the, the same heart for the orphans in 2020. And so whatever we as, as individuals, as couples, as families can do to help orphan and vulnerable children, 
we need to do that. And it doesn't always have to be foster care. It doesn't always have to be adoption, but there's so many ways that we can use our, our skills, our gifts, our experiences, our money, our prayers, our time to, to help orphan and vulnerable children. And I think the Bible makes it clear that that's, that's part of our discipleship journey as a follower of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, it's something that folks, um, I think the misconceptions that people have about the foster care community, plus the brokenness that exists within the community, create too many opportunities for people to say no, or too many opportunities for people to not have proximity. Yeah. And I just, again, like, it's amazing that you and your wife have, have, have made your life's work this because you guys are now living that out. And for those who are around you, they now have a greater proximity to this community and a greater calling and understanding uh, to do whatever they can to serve it. You recently on your website uh, began to draw this distinction distinction that I want to ask about between discipleship and mentorship. Oh, sure. Yep. Because we, you know, we believe in this calling of resilient child discipleship so much we named a podcast after it. And I think folks in the church, especially for a under-resourced community like so many kids in foster care come from, need to begin to understand what uh, discipleship for that community really looks like. So how do you define the difference? Let's just start there. How do you define the difference between discipleship and mentorship? Sure. I think, I think so often we use those words interchangeably. And I think that's a little dangerous because mentorship can be anything. You can mentor someone about anything on this, on this planet. But I think when you're talking about this discipleship specifically, you are talking about a relationship where you're living life with someone. And the goal of that relationship is to lead them closer to Jesus Christ. And while you could also mentor that person, but if you're really in a discipleship relationship, you're trying to see that person. You're intentionally helping that person become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think as as parents, and maybe this is going to get a little soapboxy, but as, as parents, it is our number one responsibility, privilege, blessing to be able to um, disciple our children, whether they're our biological children, adopted children, foster children, stepchildren, whatever, whatever kind of children you're, you're talking about, we have the, the privilege and the responsibility to disciple them. And I think sometimes we're too quick to farm that out to other people. And the reason I say this is I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. And so I was part of discipling other people's children. And over that time, I realized, you know what, the, the church, the, the youth groups, the, the private Christian schools, and, and even organizations like Awana and other parachurch organizations, we are a support to the parents. We're a, a, a supplemental discipleship to these children, or, or at least we should be. Um, and I would love to see more Christian parents realize, yes, I get to be the primary discipleship influence in the life of my children. And I'm going to utilize the church and the youth group and Awana and all these great things to help me do this. But I, as a parent, get that number one responsibility. I think that's, I think that's crucial. Absolutely. And I think the, the benefit of discipling a community like the foster care community is you see the fruit of that uh, in more dramatic ways 
than mm -hmm. you would for for those who are helping disciple or come alongside us as we are, my wife and I are discipling our two biological children, right? Sure. Because you are fighting against that darkness. You are bringing light to that darkness in that. And God is ultimately doing the work to beat back that darkness and you can see the results. Yep. The, the other thing that stands out to me about discipleship versus mentorship is I think when you are trying to mentor someone, there's a sort of power dynamic yeah. Uh, a, yep. um, and I think you go into this in the piece uh, that folks, you know, if I'm mentoring someone in, in a skill or a trade, I obviously know that trade and I'm sort yes. of walking them along, walking them through it. And discipleship is messier, right? Discipleship yep. is coming alongside a, a, a child or a family even, and being able to be there as a person for them wherever yeah. they're at. Because, you know, we talk about resilient child discipleship as this sort of pathway of, of belong, believe, and become. And what I so appreciate about folks like you who serve the foster care community is you really understand and get the first step before you're able to do anything is just allow for a child to feel like they actually belong in an environment and feel comfortable. Yeah. And I would imagine in the, in the, in the children who have come into your home that that work, that there's been a lot of that work of just getting, of just sort of getting the child back to a place of stasis, getting the yeah. child back to a place of comfort. What, what did that work look like where yeah. you, you were allowing a child to feel comfortable in your home? It is, uh, it is a lot of intentionality and a lot of time when you're, when you're talking about these kids from hard places um, who, who don't have the same background that, that I do. And, and I'm not really able to relate to much of what they went through in, in terms of their abandonment or their neglect or their abuse or whatever it is that a child may have gone through. And then you bring them in into your home and, and you, they are safe. They, you want them to feel safe, but they're so used to not feeling safe. And so we, we found it's going to have to over and over and over and over again. We just have to prove to them that you're safe. You can feel comfortable. You can feel at ease. No one's going to hurt you in our home. And then give it a lot of a lot of time. And certainly, uh, the God we serve is able to do miracles in the lives of of families and and uh, can change hearts and minds. And and these kids who have been traumatized, it it may take some time, and it might take weeks, months, or years. Uh, but they can heal from from their past, and and God can help them help them do exactly that. So I, I would say just time and just showing up over and over and over again. And if you if you make a mistake, if you screw up, you do something dumb, then you just you just go out and you apologize and say, hey, I I shouldn't have said that, or I'm I'm sorry I I yelled the way I did, or or whatever it was, you know, just own it and say, hey, I'm. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to, I'm going to do better for you next time. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it. Cause you would do that with my, my biological children, right? <laughs> like if you did that and if you, if you made yeah. a mistake, yes. that's something you would do. And I think folks overcomplicate the foster care community on top of the brokenness that already exists. I had a friend who uh, said, you know, I don't know. I don't, could never do that. I knew a kid in foster care and he got drunk all the time. And he was, he was just really obnoxious in high school and, then I was like, yeah, and so were you. The difference yep. is you were, you were privileged and bored and he was responding to trauma, but the, the behavior right. was the same. And if you're coming yep. alongside a foster care, a child who's in care, who's younger, you know, 
they're going to act like a kid. They may yeah. act like a kid who's outgoing. They may act like a kid who's incredibly introverted and quiet and everything in between. They are responding to trauma. And to your point, when you are becoming a foster parent, you get specific training and coaching on how to handle those specific behaviors. But I would argue it's incumbent on us as believers to invest in creating a, you know, a spiritual place for them to belong and create and yeah. taking that time because we are drawing from a well that never runs dry yeah. and we can absorb those body blows because of it. And the other thing, and I'm curious how you would respond to this based off of your experience, but you know, when you're able to invest in, in a child who has gone through foster care, what they're going to ultimately become, right? The resiliency that this shapes in them. If we are as a community able to come alongside them, they are going to be so much better equipped to be leaders, to uh, make an impact in the, their communities when they are you know, leading the church of 2050 and beyond because of what their experience was and because of the loving, caring adults around them. Yeah, you're, you're right. Because as I think about the kids that, that have been in our care over the, over the few years, uh, past several years, they, they all have just horrible experiences that, that I can't relate to. And, and I'm, I'm sure you or anyone else who's ever had, had foster kids are, are thankful that, that you didn't have the background that they did. Of, of course, some people may have had that background, but in, right. in my case, I, I didn't. And while I would never wish that background on someone, obviously, but depending on, on how they are, are discipled and mentored and parented through that, it might position them so well to be an expert in that field, to empathize with, with people that maybe I can't empathize with or understand or have experience that I don't have, that they can help other people. And so how do you take a kid who's been through all this trauma and then as a, as a foster parent or as an adoptive parent, try to lead them and guide them to say, all right, this is, this is what's in your past. I'm really sorry this happened. This is horrible. How do we, how do we work through this? And how do we, how do we position you to be able to, to use this to the glory of God? And, and, and certainly beyond parenting, I think counseling is a big part of that and sure. certainly professional services. So I don't, I don't want to put all the responsibility on, on parents. I think a lot of these kids need professional, uh, professional help, but as, as parents, we are a huge, huge, huge piece of, and certainly their discipleship. Yeah. yeah. I think it's great that you said that, right? Because I think the way that this system changes the brokenness that's in foster care is people who have had a lot of privilege people who, who have loving support systems already mm -hmm. redirecting that privilege to folks who have never experienced that sure. communities that have never experienced that because while people who were part of the system themselves, right? You see that all the time where those who were involved in foster care as a child, they're able to make, you know, get themselves into a right place and then they become a foster parent, which is just an incredible amount of grace um, that they're able to do they are going to absorb the body blows of foster care in a different way than I will yeah. because I have the resources that I have. Yep. Um, and I think similarly, that's, this is sort of where I want to bring the conversation into how we mobilize churches, because I think there's going to be people who listen to this, who feel uh, already overburdened, right? Such a large percentage of the folks who engage in this podcast are, are kidmen leaders, right? And there is very few communities out there 
that have the longer to-do lists than Kinmin leaders, right? And I want to make clear that I'm not asking any, any of them to do something different. What I'm asking is for you to pay attention to part of your community that is likely already there that may, you may or may not be aware of, right? Yeah. The, the only advantage of 400,000 kids being in foster care is that means that there's a kid in care who's close to your church, just mathematically. Sure. Yeah. You, this is something that I know you spend a lot of your time working on is talking to churches and engaging them in this conversation. How do you begin to make that pivot from, Hey, this is something you care about, right? You understand scripture. You understand the biblical mandate to care for the orphan, but what, how do you begin to play that out in their community? What does that look like for churches? Yeah. And this is a, this is a really tough question because once you start jumping into this kind of uh, orphan care field. When you're talking about foster care, you're talking about adoption, you're talking about taking care of orphan and vulnerable children. What I hear so frequently from, from people who, with great hearts who want to get involved is I, I talk to my senior pastor and, and, and they're just not really ready to start an, an initiative. So uh, kind of, I don't know where to go. Right. And, and that's, that's tough. I'm certainly not throwing senior pastors under the bus. Uh, they have, they have a lot of, a lot of things that they, that they are shepherding at the moment. And, and for whatever reasons, maybe a new orphan care initiative may not be, may not be at the top of the list, but I would, would say to individuals, you don't need permission within the body of Christ to care for orphan and vulnerable children. So if mm-hmm. you, if you hit, a door. If, if maybe your church leadership isn't really on board with it, don't get bitter or jaded or, or, you know, throw them under the bus, but just say, okay, how is God calling me to still care for these kids? Even if I won't necessarily have the support of the leadership of my church. And that's, that's okay. What can you do as an individual? And I, I, there's a story of, of a gentleman here that uh, doesn't live too far uh, from us. And, uh, um, he was not at a point where he could, he was a single man. He couldn't foster or felt that he couldn't foster. He felt that he couldn't adopt, but he wanted to help orphan and vulnerable children. And so the orphan care ministry of his local church had a yearly, um, a, a yearly event. Hundreds of people came and every year he would, uh, donate. I guess he was the, um, uh, he was the owner of a, of a barbecue catering company. Okay. And every year he would bring all his stuff and he would provide uh, all the food, all the fixings, all the barbecue and everything necessary for those hundreds of people to, to have a great day. Didn't charge the church a dime. He considered that his, his ministry. And by him doing that in part allowed hundreds of people to become exposed to uh, the orphan care initiatives of the church he was participating in. And so I feel like we ask ourselves the question then, what, what are my skills? What are my experiences? What is God calling me to do? What are my passions? And you may not need, you know, a physical church building to be part of that. Because again, as the body of Christ, we don't need anyone's permission to take care of orphan and vulnerable children. Well said, man. I couldn't agree more because I think folks, uh, will often find ways to try to say no. And I love the idea of this guy being like, look, I, I can't care for a child right now, but I can make good barbecue. And people yeah. investing in that, people taking the time to evaluate their skills, right? Because folks who listen to this, you are already uniquely positioned, in my opinion, to be a foster parent. 
right? You care about kids. You care, you are invested in the long game. You understand that this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? Child discipleship and uh, foster care is very similar to all of those things. But if you don't feel like this is something that you can do right now, I have a lot of empathy and, and to take that one step further, the way that the system actually changes is by all of us doing the things that we can, right? And now you and I have probably been a little too invested in this cliche, right? But it, it does go back to the, if you can't adopt, and I want to talk about adoption in a second, if you can't adopt foster, right? My, I always say, I always lead with this. My wife and I are foster parents. Um, and a lot of our foster care experience has been in respite care. Sure. Yeah. It's simply just allowing you know, like I said earlier, that example with the baby who had been moved eight times in eight weeks, we were in a position where we could say, look, we're not going to be able to adopt this child, but this child's going to stay with us until he, he's able to know where you're going, even though he was going into another foster home, right? You can yeah. be a bridge between foster care or it's something as simple as they're with a long-term family, but that family's going out of the country and the judge didn't approve the out of the country for the foster care. So it's just right. glorified babysitting, right? Um, that's a great way to start this process. I always recommend people at least consider that because it sort of lowers that barrier of entry when you start foster care. Um, if you can't, so if you can't adopt, foster. If you can't foster, uh, consider donating. Consider finding those ways that you can get involved. Uh, prayer and support for a family in the same way that you would do if they were bringing a baby home from the hospital. All of those things are needed for kids in foster care babysitting biological kids so those parents can invest in the lives of the children who are in their home. Those things all matter and count and count a lot for this population. Yeah. And then if you feel like you can't donate, you can obviously pray, but take the time to get yourself educated. Take the time to look up what foster care looks like in your community, in your county, in your area, because odds are you're going to find a way that you can get involved and you can help. Yeah. And, and you're hundred percent right. And I think Here's here's a here's a little pro tip that that certainly we learned as foster parents. You probably experienced the same thing. A lot of great people come up and say, "How can we help? What would you like us to do? What do you need?" And boy, do we appreciate those people. Thank you for asking that question. But I would encourage anyone who is thinking about helping uh, a family who fosters or a family who adopts, don't ask them what they need. Take take a guess at what they need and chances are you're going to be right. And just, you know what, on a Saturday, just go over. I mean, depending on how well, you know, them, yeah. grab their lawnmower out of their garage and mow their lawn or on a yeah. Wednesday night, just bring over dinner. You don't even have to, don't have to let them know that you're, you're coming and just, just 100%. give them and help them and support them. Don't, don't ask them what they need, need because it's going to, it puts them in a very awkward situation because we're so there's some pride there's there's some awkwardness for us to say oh we, we're fine we don't we don't need anything when the reality is yeah this is this is hard foster care is hard adoption is hard and yeah we we probably could use a little support yeah and again it everyone who's listening to this right this is an advantage of having the conversation in this kind of structure is because you all know if you if you were taking the time to listen to a guy in chicago talking to a microphone about kids you know kids, you know what families of kids need and right. you can make that educated guess about what families who are caring for kids in foster care. And we should we should offer the caveat of this is not prescriptive, right? Like I'm not pretending to know about specific situations, right. uh, specific family trauma, right? Like I'm not even pretending to know the, I'm sure the, like you said earlier, the hours and hours of details that go into your story. 
but again, I think the foster care community and the brokenness of this world allows for far too many reasons to say no and allows far too many walls to be put up in not only becoming a foster parent or going through the journey of foster care to adoption, but just acknowledging that that world exists and engaging with some level of proximity to serving people who really need it. And my, my intention in asking that question is to make sure people understand getting hurt is not a reason to say no. Right. Getting hurt is a reason to trust God that God is guiding you through it. And I'm very grateful that you guys have continued to engage in that work. Um, It is a faith building process. I mean, that is, (laughs) that is for sure. I mean, I I suppose if you allowed it, it could also be a faith destroying process, but but hopefully you, you stick close to your heavenly father and, and have the faith to know that he's going to get you through this. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about one of my favorite organizations that cares about kids. For nearly 50 years, MOPS, that's Mothers of Preschoolers, has gathered and supported moms. My wife has been involved in MOPS, and they believe in the simple but radical idea that remarkable things happen when moms come together. MOPS has practical tools and resources to help all moms, not just moms of little kids, with all of their needs. MOPS partners with churches and organizations from around the globe to equip and encourage moms in more than 68 countries. This global pandemic has created an opportunity to gather moms everywhere, and that's why MOPS has started Mama Meetups. Mama Meetups are online communities of 8 to 12 moms who gather twice a month to share their lives and parenting journeys. You can find groups for moms of kids with special needs, working moms, blended families, teachers, first-time moms, and so much more. Mama Meetups are the place to be, and MOPS is excited to help moms connect all over the world in this new way. You can join a Mama Meetup, and you can reclaim your joy, strength, and courage like never before. MOPS is calling it a comeback, and you can visit mops.org to learn more. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Arthur Woods for the time and wisdom. Once again, I want to introduce you to Susan McConnell, the founder of Let It Be Us. If you are in the Illinois area interested in foster care, I personally cannot highly recommend for you enough to start that process with Let It Be Us. And you can learn more about them via the link in the show notes. To be clear, This is just me telling you about my experience. They helped my wife and I become foster parents and they can help you too. Here's part of my conversation with Susan. Let It Be Us does a few things. First of all, the the name Let It Be Us, it says a lot because these are big issues that we have to tackle and it can't be tackled by one person. It has to be tackled by a group. And so the the name Let It Be Us invites people to come and help. Absolutely. Um, Let It Be Us serves the foster care community and the, the children and the parents by recruiting new families, helping them, educating them, and helping them through the licensing process. And then uh, if they are in need of a placement, and some families will are able to take multiple placements, we operate a database of licensed and open homes, and we work with care with caregivers, caregivers, caseworkers. I'm sorry, and investigators, and we help them make those placements through our contacts. 
Um, yeah. We also have a direct support system and uh, service. And so through that direct support service, we help children in foster care by providing things that they need. Right now, we have a Chromebook initiative, for example, because there's some school systems in Illinois that don't provide Chromebooks for e-learning. So we have donors who would like to provide that. Um, so that's that's what we do. Um, yeah. We recruit new parents. We help them get licensed. And then we help them find a placement. There are about 18,000 children in foster care. The number is growing every year. Uh, we don't have nearly enough foster homes. And we don't nearly have a deep bench of foster homes because some children who come in only speak Spanish. So they have to go to a Spanish-speaking or a bilingual home. Some children come in and they're part of a sibling group. And so they don't have to take that loss on top of the loss they've already experienced. They can go to a home that's large enough. They can all stay together. Uh, teens come in and a lot of people, you know, don't want teens. And, um, and so we need parents who can accept them and, and help them become the people that they're meant to be. So, so some of the children we help are the, are the hardest to place children. Um, but then there are children that are just born in a hospital and they can't go home and they need a home to go to and there just isn't anyone to, to help them. Yeah. And now, dear listener, you're going to hear conversations that Susan and, I, Susan and I have had for a long time in a number of different ways where usually I'm shouting and Susan is telling me to calm down. But I want to start... I want to also just sort of provide a bit of educational framework for people about the way that let it be us exists within the system, because I think what people believe and understand about foster care is often just inaccurate. It's a incomplete picture of what this system looks like and what it means for a child to be in care and what helping that child in care actually looks like. So let it be us by recruiting foster parents. Let it be us as an organization that has expert marketers, expert recruiters, people who know this system and are able to help bring in families who otherwise would not be reached by the the caseworkers from DCFS or otherwise who are providing that direct care to kids. So this is a this is a bridge organization that is helping uh, really heal some of the brokenness that exists within the foster care uh, community or overall. In order for us to change the scope of foster care, we we need we need more parents. We need people, and let it be us is uniquely positioned to do it. So, yeah. So you know, we always operate at a deficit. We never have enough licensed foster homes for kids to go into, and and I really believe it doesn't need to be that way. I really think it, people don't want that to be that way. Uh, I think there are people out there who want to be licensed and want to be open to helping. Some people think it's a lifelong commitment, and it doesn't have to be. Um, Ross, you and your wife were, you preferred respite care, which mm-hmm. is a short-term assignment. Yeah. And you can get your foster care license, and you can take short-term assignments. It might be for a weekend. It might be while when a child comes into foster care, they need to go someplace for a week so that we can make a really good placement the first time. Sometimes a family will get invited to a wedding that's out of the country, and children in foster care aren't allowed to do that. So they would love to have someone take care of their those children while they take that trip. Sometimes parents in foster care just need a break Yeah, for a couple of days and just need the a time out. The same way that I need a break with that. my kids sometimes. Well, and some people have a built-in support system and some people don't. Mm-hmm. And so respite care can be part of that support system. I would implore folks who listen to this, who care about kids, 
to check out Let It Be Us because it is a great first step on how you can actually serve and do something, like you said, Susan, do something to help this community. Um, well, and when you when you look when you look at it from a community point of view, it's the epitome of the meaning of Let It Be Us. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's going to take a village. It, 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 children thrive in villages. Um, yes, in functional families, but also within the community of the church, so that so that they can so that they can have a lot of people helping them and loving them and caring for them, um, especially children who have have different sets of needs that that you and I, Ross, may not you know may not know about. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's all hands on deck. It's a chance for everyone to help together. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and It's by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album, Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.